David becomes king and everything is awesome, right? And people get stabbed too. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith. This is Brandon. We're pastors at Gospel Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. Welcome. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We're getting into 2 Samuel. Uh, I just want to remind you guys, too, to like and subscribe on our YouTube channel, on our Facebook, all that good stuff. Make sure you really subscribe. You smash that subscribe button and mm. like button so many times. That's right. Make different email accounts That's right. Preach and it. like and subscribe just so we get blown up on social media. <laughs> Fun fact, Keith just learned how to subscribe to a video on YouTube. Just learned. It's a great thing. Yeah. And I even hit the little bell on some of my favorite um, uh, channels uh, so that I never redneck. miss a new episode. Yeah. Pretty cool. Super redneck stuff. But Well, Brandon, what are we talking about today? We're talking about 2 Samuel. It's a great, great book, um, a centerpiece of the Old Testament for sure. Mm, a centerpiece. Very, very critical book. And uh, like you said, a lot of people get stabbed. In the stomach specifically. I'm, um, I'm amazed at the book of Second Samuel about how many people do get stabbed in the stomach. Yeah. My, my favorite one is probably the first one where, you know, the butt end of a spear goes through a guy's entire body. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's pretty good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a link between all the stomach stabbings. I'm sure there is. Physical theology of getting getting shivved. Yeah, probably. Crazy. Huh. Someday you'll write that, write that book. <laughs> no, I have other books. I've only thought of... We'll talk about the books I want to write some other yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so let's review the promises of God so far up in the story, because that's we're tracing the big yeah. themes throughout Scripture, right? And I, I know when we start to get into this part of the Bible, you can get kind of lost sometimes. So what are yeah. the promises that are happening? Because we get a huge promise in this book, you know, that helps connect the whole Bible together. Yeah, so, I mean, everything kind of stems from Genesis 1 and 2, right, right? Yeah. where we see... The, the land of Eden and the, the king, Adam, mm-hmm. ruling over creation and God's blessing and all these things. So these are all big themes. People, right? Uh, uh, land, blessing. Those are all big themes from the beginning of the Bible. And then in Genesis 3, when, when there's the fall, God responds with the renewed promise of an offspring. Mm. So how is humanity going to continue? Be- there will be an offspring. Right. There will be... Uh, a long line of descendants from the woman, that including all of us, right? We're all from Adam and Eve. But specifically, there'll be one seed, one offspring, one particular descendant who will crush the head of the serpent. Yeah, one champion that will come forth and be victorious. So, yeah. so much of the, the Old Testament narrative is, is focusing on the idea of offspring, looking for who the true offspring is. Yep. And like, like I said, that word offspring is literally just seed. Mm-hmm. And then in Genesis 12, when, when uh, Abraham comes along... God promises the same things to him, right? A land. He's going to bring him to a promised land. It'll be sort of a new picture of Eden. Um, he's going to give him a, a great name. He's going to bless the world through him, and that there will be he'll have an offspring. Mm-hmm. So the whole story of Genesis, uh, a lot of it is focusing on who that offspring is going to be. Who? How is th- this line of salvation continuing? Right. So that's a big part of it. So and then at the end of Genesis in chapter forty-nine, we see the, the first real explicit promise of a king. Right. And that's to in Jacob's, uh, you know, prophecies to his kids, his blessings to his kids, where we see that the king's going to come through Judah. Right. So th- that's where we've seen, and then really we've been seeing those threads, sort of traced throughout the Pentateuch, right, and into the historical books. And now we're at the story of David. Yeah. So we, <clears throat> the last couple episodes, we went through First Samuel, which are actually one book, right, in the original text. But um, we finally get a king introduced into the story, King Saul. But let's 
quickly overview First Samuel, so we can get an idea of where we're in the story in Second Samuel. Yeah. So yeah. So so Samuel, First and Second Samuel is all about the revelation of the true King, mm. and so Saul is sort of a foil or this sort of inverse image of what David's going to be. Right. <clears throat> right. He's this. He's he's tall. Right. He's commanding, but he doesn't have really good looking. Super good, really good looking. Good looking. The most handsome yeah. handsome man in the land. Yeah. 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 That's 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 pretty big, you know. And <laughs> head and shoulders above everyone else. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of someone. I don't know who. That... Wow. No, I'm just kidding. Wow. I'm just, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just just the tall part, not the not the handsome part. Um, you can't have it all. You just can't it's have true. it all. You know. Um, but anyway, in First Samuel, we see in the first several chapters, we see God's victory through Samuel, right? Appointing Samuel as a, a judge and a prophet, and God winning victory over the Philistines, and then Saul's raised up. He started the people's king, right? This uh, this image of what the people actually want, which mm-hmm. is a king like the nations. And so Saul is that, and that means that Saul's going to be a failure. So mm-hmm. he's rejected by God, and then the rest of the book of Samuel is the story of Saul's unraveling while David is rising. Right. And that brings us to 2 Samuel, right? Saul has just died. His sons have died with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least you know, two of his sons, I think it is. Uh, Jonathan, in particular. But uh, now we see David coming on the scene, and he's going to become the king. Awesome. And what's the structure of 2 Samuel? If we're, like, like we always talk about, it's really helpful to lay out... Um, you know, how the books are structured so we can understand what the author is trying to show us in the story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how is it structured? Second um, Samuel. Yeah. So in the first 10 chapters, we're going to see David's success. Mm-hmm. And that'll yep. be our focus today is just those first 10 chapters, specifically chapter seven, which is such a key chapter you have to understand. Right. Um, and then the next 10 chapters, 11 to 20, are David's failures. Mm-hmm. So he's going to fail. We know that, obviously. And then at the end of the book, there's an epilogue. So yep. 21, 24 is sort of an epilogue, and really it's its own sort of self-contained unit. There's some some parallels going on. We see that there's a, f- a frame of, um, uh, you know, the beginning of that section, there's a failure by Saul, and at the end there's a failure by David. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of that section, there's these songs by David and the fi- final words of David, and they really connect back to Hannah's prayer that was right. you mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 2, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so that's what we're going we're gonna to see is we're going to see David's rise, his fall, and the epilogue, which shows us a little bit about where God is, is moving things. Very cool. So, you ready? We'll get into the book a little bit? Let's do it. Awesome. Chapter one. What do we got? Chapter one. So, Saul has died. Dang. We know from, from 1 Samuel that he died by his own hand. Yeah. He committed suicide. But there comes this Amalekite uh, to David... Claiming credit for the death of Saul, yeah. So he brings him some of you know some trophies to show that he killed Saul, and he he this, this poor guy he just wants some bakshish, right? <laughs> like when we were in, we were in Egypt, for, uh, I wasn't there for very long, but you know all these all the little kids in town would try to do things for you, little things that you could do yourself, like open a door or something, and they'd be like bakshish, bakshish. They wanted like a tip, you know. They just want some money, right? Just for doing a good deed, and so this guy thought he was going to get some bakshish, but he did not get that. Instead, he ends up getting killed. Right. <laughs> and the reason for this, right, is because he's touched the Lord's anointed. Right. Right. He's he's attacked Saul, who has that title of Messiah, because he was anointed by God. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at it, like, at least at first reading, you're like, wow, like David's a gnarly dude, or why would he do that? Or that's an unjust thing even, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, I think it's much more about protecting the <laughs> office of God's anointed than about the person of Saul. Who obviously God had put him in a place where he 
he was going to die, right? Mm-hmm. He was disqualified, all of that. But David cares a lot about the the office, and it, it, the whole story of Saul is tragic. I think I think the reason why David is lamenting Saul so much is because it's a tragic thing what happened to Saul, the promise he had, and then of course Jonathan as well, who's such a good friend of, of David's. Right to lose both of them is a is a big deal. Awesome. So so that's what we see in chapter one, and then chapter two, we start to see some of these. Um, Sort of, sort of some court drama, I guess. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a rival king is anointed, right? David is, is anointed as king, but also a rival king, Ishbosheth, who is a son of Saul, right. one, of Saul's, one of Saul's kids. And so um, we see with him in verse, verse 8 of chapter 2, we see a guy called Abner, the son of Nair. Um, so this guy is going to be the key player, right? He's, he was Saul's general. He's going to be... Uh, general for Ishbosheth and help him rise to power, right. at least at first. And so there's this rivalry that's happening here. Now I, I would think it's funny. Abner, son of Nair. Like Abner, the name Abner just means fa- my father is Nair, basically. <laughs> so it's like my father is Nair, the son of Nair. Like he really wants to emphasize. I don't know. I don't know why they really want to emphasize so much who his dad is. But um, anyway, so so Abner and 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 uh, Ishbosheth are against David and his general Joab. Right. And, and what happens is there's this battle that takes place at Gibeon mm-hmm. where it's kind of funny. They're all re- these guys are wrestling and then they all like stab each other at the same time. Yeah. And they Bizarre. All it's really <laughs> weird. But then it ends up breaking into a battle with the rest of these two groups. Right. And they're chasing each other. And so Abner is on the run. What are the chances? I mentioned like I mentioned like a UFC fight or something like that where every guy who comes into the ring just knocks each other out KO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Again, well, he's getting stabbed right in the stomach, right? There you go. There's the first one, right? A bunch of stabbings. And then what happens is Abner is running to get away from the battle. And Asahel, who is the brother of Joab, is chasing him. Mm-hmm. And it says, you know, Asahel is swift like a gazelle. He's a really fast guy. Um, and he, and he's chasing him and Abner keeps saying to him like, Hey, just, yeah. just grab some other guy here. Like you can grab their spoil. Like, don't mess with me. I don't want to kill you. And he then, in order to stop Asahel, he hits him with the butt of his spear. Mm-hmm. Now the butt of a spear is the part that doesn't stab you. Right. Apparently. And yet it says that somehow the butt of the spear went through him and came out his back. So it seems like there's like God's providence here. He's wanting some sort of division between Abner and Joab, mm-hmm. which will play out a little bit later. But Abner's trying not to kill Asahel, and he ends up killing him. So he's so he's you know guilty of at least manslaughter, I guess. Yeah, unless he really just wanted to drive home the point, or the drive home Is the that butt. A pun? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> so what ends up happening though is Ishbosheth in chapter three insults Abner. And so Abner says, I'm leaving you. I'm giving the kingdom to David. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, Abner is the power player. Yeah. Ishbosheth is sort of the, the name, the right. family lineage, but Abner is the one who has the power. And so he turns against Ishbosheth, goes to David, and they, they have an alliance, right? Mm-hmm. Which is great for David because it now means that the northern kingdom, which is more Saul's territory, and the southern kingdom, they're united mm-hmm. under David. But the problem is that Joab still has a grudge against Abner. Yep. Because Abner killed killed his brother. And so if you remember, actually, that the laws about the cities of refuge, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if people listening remember this very much, but we learned about cities of refuge in the Pentateuch. There were certain cities designated where if you were a 
manslaughterer, right? So not an mm-hmm. intentional murder, but you accidentally killed somebody. You'd run to these places. No one could kill you there um, until you had a trial or until the death of the high priest, right? Mm-hmm. So Abner is actually in Hebron, which is a city of refuge. So he's, he's there, and Joab says, hey, can you meet me in the gate of the city? And then when he meets him in the gate... Now, I'll ask you, is, is the gate in the city bounds or is it outside the city bounds? Oh. It's a little gray, right? A little gray. <laughs> Maybe just outside. Yeah, yeah. so he just he meets him, right? And he's he got a message for him, and then he stabs him in the stomach. So we have the, the third instance of someone getting shivved in the, in the book of 2 Samuel. And this seems like there's something providential here, too, as well, that God is consolidating power under David, mm-hmm. keeping David's hands clean, mm-hmm. um, and... But also eliminating Saul and his and his influence. Yeah, exactly. Justice of some degree. Yeah. So then we see it though in verses thirty-five, thirty-six, and thirty-seven uh, of chapter three, David's mourning Abner too. Mm-hmm. He's mourning Abner. He's not taking pleasure in his death. He's very sad by this, and he he curses Joab. Right? <laughs> Joab will pay the price for this. Um, and I don't know why he doesn't just punish Joab. Yeah. But many times I wonder like why is he so soft on Joab, but. Um, but anyway, so so he, but he the people see it. They see his heart. They see that he doesn't want to kill an innocent man. Right, and so they uh, they understand that he's the he's the right kind of king. Mm-hmm. Chapter four, Ishbosheth is murdered. I love again some guys come so some guys murder Ishbosheth in his in his bed, and then they come to David and they're like, Hey, guess what, David? We we <laughs> we killed Ishbosheth, man. Give us some bakshish. Yeah. and again they die. I don't know. I don't know why. Like, would you not have learned by now? But exactly. Well, this is not the normal king. Uh, <laughs> chapter five is really important as well because it's in chapter five that, God, that he consolidates power. Mm-hmm. He consolidates power, and he actually conquers Jerusalem, right. which will become the seat of his power. Very important move. He, he conquers that city, and we see in verse ten it says David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. So God is present with him. We see God is fighting for him mm-hmm. later in the chapter. Um, God is doing a great work through David. That's not like what he did through Saul. Right. And then in chapter 6, the ark is brought to Jerusalem. That the, Jerusalem becomes the center of politics and the center of religion. Mm-hmm. It's going to be such an important city theologically yeah. where all, all the big things happen, really. So, um, And we see a conflict between David and, and uh, Saul's daughter, Michael, about, uh, well, basically it's, it's a conflict that leads to her being barren for the rest of her life. And that's God's will as well, to cut off the line of Saul like he prophesied. Right. So these these pieces are coming together and Saul's being exalted. Right. And that really sort of culminates David's being exalted. Yeah. 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 David's being exalted. Yeah. And that culminates in chapter seven. Seven. The big chapter. So what's this covenant? What's this promise all about? So what so yeah, what happens is David is beginning the chapter, he's he's, you know, rest resting. Mm-hmm. Right, that God's given him victory over his enemies. He has that rest that Israel's been longing for for so long. And so he's sitting there and he says, you know what? I live in a beautiful house and God is still in a tent. God's presence is still dwelling in the, the tabernacle. I'm going to make God a temple. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make God a house to glorify his name. And the prophet Nathan says, that's great. Do it. But then God comes to Nathan and reveals to him something different. Mm-hmm. And this, so we'll, we'll read quite a bit of this because this chapter is just, it's so, so important. Right. So in verse, verse 5, God says to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the house of the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? Uh, I have not lived in a house 
since the day I brought you up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. Uh, in other words, I, I don't need a house. It's not, it's not essential for me. I, I don't need you to do this work. But he says, I'm going to build David a house. I'm going to build David a house. So there's a kind of play on words here, right? Mm-hmm. David wants to build him a literal house, a, a, a temple, right, a, pl- a, a place. And God is going to build a house, which means a lineage, mm-hmm. a dynasty. So what we see in verse 8, we see, Therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. So it's reminding him of the the amazing rise to power he's had. Mm-hmm. This goes back to Hannah's song right, right at the beginning of the book, um, that God raises the lowly and exalts them. And God's done that for, for David. He was a shepherd, and now he's the shepherd over the entire nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on in verse 9, and, and think, what does this remind you of? <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the great names, the great ones of the earth. Mm-hmm. What does that mention of a great name remind you of? Abraham. Yeah, Babel, Abraham, right? That That idea of making a name great, right? Yeah. The Babylonians wanted to do that, mm-hmm. and they couldn't, and Abraham was given that as a gift from God. Right. And now God's going to make uh, David's name great as well. He's going to make him exalted in order to exalt God, obviously. Right, yeah. And I love how you start to see these connections, too. Like, at first reading, you might not know or even pick up on a lot of these connections, but, yeah, God's telling a cohesive story through all of Scripture, and this is picking up a lot of those pieces from Genesis. So. Yeah, and you gotta as you read and, you, and these things jump out to you, underline stuff, right? Yeah, that's good. Make a little note in the margin. Go back and find that verse reference and, and write it in the mm-hmm. margin in small letters, so that when you look at it again, you can remember that connection. All right. Um, some people just have an amazing memory; they can just hold all of that, but most people can't. Yeah, like you. Uh, well, I I, I can't. <laughs> I, have, I have an okay memory. Yeah, I have, a, I have a good memory, but not good enough to remember all that stuff. So I right. still, and honestly, I just like interacting with something physical mm-hmm. and it just helps me it helps me to memorize honestly yeah once i've written it i probably don't need it anymore but it, it's so helpful for me to just put it in the margin yeah. so yeah so we see that that name that's reminiscent of abraham and how god said the same thing to him in verse 10 he says i will point a place for my people israel and will plant them mm. so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more so we see that promise of a Land again, a yep. place. So name, place, and then in verse eleven we see that pro- a promise of rest, further rest. Mm-hmm. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Mm. There's the there's the important play on words, right? God's going to make you a house. It, David, it's not your job to build me up, in a sense. It's my job to bless you, right? God is the benefactor always. Right. So we serve and, and worship him, but we're never doing him any favors. Right, which is, yeah, crazy to think about. Yeah, right. he, he's the one who is able to bless us in, in the, the realest sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And then it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning you, you die, uh, yeah. I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. Wow. So that word offspring, again, that's that word zera in the Hebrew, that word for seed, mm-hmm. if you translate it literally. But typically in, in the ESV, it's translated offspring. 
So that word, I mean, you should just always be looking out for that word and circling that word. That is such a big word. He's saying the offspring, the the one promised in Genesis 3.15 who will crush the serpent, that's going to come through you, David. Mm-hmm. That's going to come through you. And and the question will then be, well, who is that going to be, right? Who's going to have, he's going to have an eternal throne. Verse 14, this is a really amazing verse. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now, we talked about this a little bit at Good Friday service for those who were there. A son of God, that term, I mean, really has a lot of, it's really rooted here. There are, uh, there are only a couple places where someone's called a son of God, and this is one of the most important ones, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Jesus is the son of God, right. and he's both the eternal divine son of God in, in a sense that it's far beyond what David is. Right. But he's also the son of God in this sense, which is uh, God's basically saying, I'm adopting you as my son, and my will on earth is going to be expressed through your kingdom. That's the ultimate plan. Mm-hmm. So, uh, th- I mean, that's, that's big, right? Yeah. That God's a father. That's not a common idea in the Old Testament. It's common in the New Testament because we're all in Jesus. Right. But at this point, that's, that's a new thing. Um, so, so we see what's happening here is that God is actually uniting his heavenly throne to the earthly throne of David, mm. which is just the, the, the scope of that, the importance of that is just, it's hard to uh, fully understand, right? I mean, that God would essentially put his entire plan for redemption on the family of David. Right. It has to happen through this family, and my rule is going to be exp- expressed through the rule of the Davidic kings. Right. Well, it's kind of crazy, too, that, like, even at this point in the story, David's pretty high up there. He's pretty, he's, he's, he's an awesome guy, even though there's still some weird sinful stuff with him, obviously. But just the idea that, like, this isn't the ultimate kingship that Israel's looking for. There, there's going to be a greater and a perfect king to come that's going to be literally the son of God, right? Yeah. So that's just crazy to think, like, like how... How much of that did David know? How much of that did Israel even understand at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just crazy to to think of. And then the history after that, the history after the time of David that actually leads up to Jesus actually coming, is it's just crazy. Like, you can't make that up, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's intense. And yeah, just the, the, the time that God is waiting for this promise to be fulfilled is unbelievable. His patience, even with his own people, is crazy. And yeah. So God is here uniting his his eternal throne to the throne of, of David. Mm-hmm. The second half of verse 14, though, is very interesting. Yeah, exactly. I was going to bring that up. Like, like, okay, maybe this talks about, is talking about Jesus, but how do you, you know, wrestle with verse 14 and iniquity and stuff? So, yeah, so <clears throat> verse 14, right, I will beat him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Then it says, when he commits iniquity, meaning sin, I will discipline him with the rods of men, with the stripes of the son of men, mm. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Mm-hmm. So this is a very interesting. So he's saying when he sins, there will be a punishment, right? Discipline that comes from the rod of men, the stripes of men. So we have this idea of the Davidic king is going to need to bear his own punishment. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an interesting idea, and obviously, I mean, for for most of us, it'll make us think immediately of, of Jesus, right? But Jesus wasn't wasn't paying for his own sins, right? So so, but there is the this, the kings who sin will have to bear that punishment. But 
the steadfast love of God won't depart from them. Mm-hmm. So God's still going to to love and to work their purpose, His purpose through the Davidic line, no matter how they fail. Even if even if they're crushed, even if they're taken into exile, God's still going to show His love through that family. Right. So, and then um, it says in verse sixteen. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is an eternal kingship. Mm-hmm. So it just reinforces the idea that God is linking his plan to David. That David is now the sort of linchpin for the plan of salvation. Right. And and that must mean, as if you're just a human, you know, reader, reading this for the first time, you go, this must mean that David is, uh, God knows he's not going to fail. <laughs> and we know that's not true, obviously. But right. But you would, you would think that. Why would God link his plan to David? No, it's because through David, his failure, his offspring's failure, uh, his immediate offspring, God's going to show this, the incredible victory of his son Jesus in the long run. Right. Yeah. So Amen. I'm skipping ahead to the end, I guess. But but yeah, that's um, that's where this is all headed. So, so big, big chapter, a lot of big themes that we've seen, like I said, kind of scattered mm-hmm. from Genesis. We've seen some of them at different times you know, land or blessing or offspring kind of focused on, but here they're coming all together again. Right. And then we're going to see them sort of scatter again and then come together when Jesus arrives on the scene. Right. Awesome. <clears throat> Chapter eight. Yeah. So, um, so what happens in, in, uh, well, actually we're going to, Chapter eight, he has some victories, right? We're seeing the rise to power, mm-hmm. but really, um, Mephibosheth is the big one. Say right. that 10 times fast. Mephibosheth. 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 There you go. It's, yeah, not good for people with lisps, I guess. Mephibosheth is the son of Saul, who is crippled. And in this chapter, chapter nine, it's very important because he displays covenant loyalty mm-hmm. to Mephibosheth, right? right. Uh, chesed would be the, the word in Hebrew. Loving kindness. This steadfast love, uh-huh. yeah, it, loving kindness, however you want to say it, <clears throat> that it really, in this chapter, he's displaying the character of God and the character of the Vedic king, mm-hmm. the, the Messiah, through his love for Mephibosheth. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Mephibosheth is um, not deserving in a real sense of love from David, but because... David made a covenant with Jonathan years back. Mm. He seeks out Mephibosheth mm. and, and displays his love to him and says, you can eat at my table. Mm. Uh, you can be a recipient of my love, my grace, and my wealth for as long as you live simply because of a covenant that I made. Right. And this I mean, shows us the love that, that God shows for us. How many times, even to this point, has God said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Right. And I'm not loving you because you're good, but because I made a promise to right. these, exactly. these forefathers of yours. That's showing us the, the the good character of David, or at least part of his good character, right? And that he is God's like chosen, anointed king to be, you know, in some way a good image of him. You know, obviously he fails, but yeah, you know. absolutely, yeah. So at this point, I mean, he really is like the image of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Verse seven, right? He says, "Do not fear to Mephibosheth." Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, mm. and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Yeah, Steadfast love, free grace, a gift from the king. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then really how, how this section ends, chapter 10, David has more victories. Um, God is giving that rest that he promised mm-hmm. through the true king. So we're just at a, 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 the high point. Of the of sort of the golden age 
of Israel. I, I maybe Solomon, I guess, but this is a, this is a point where there's been all good and no bad. It well, seems I mean, like like think of the history before now. Like you know, we went through we went through judges, and that was just like the darkest of dark times. And to have someone like David, even in contrast to Saul, but in, like David in contrast to the judges, the, you know, the the, the pseudo barbarian mobster kings of Israel. Yeah. Like it's cool to see someone like David come onto the scene, even though we know he fails utterly. He's not perfect, which we'll see next week. But um, it's cool to see a godly man in charge of Israel at this point. Yeah. So it's like refreshing almost, right? You're like, when is someone like not totally broken coming onto the scene? Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So how does the how does the gospel connect? We talked about it a little bit, but let's just make it clear. How is this story of David, especially chapter seven, connecting us to the gospel? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, obviously the offspring is Jesus. We've mentioned that many, many times. This offspring mm-hmm. that's, that's been that's coming. Um, Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill the Davidic covenant, the yep. promises. Um, the Davidic covenant points to a king who will be a temple builder. Yep. Our first thought, of course, is that that offspring, that temple builder, is Solomon, because Solomon actually is the offspring of David. He builds the temple, but we'll see him fail as well. So there has to be a, a bigger, ultimate fulfillment of that prophecy, mm-hmm. and that is through Jesus. He's also the one, I think that 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 mention of, you know, bearing bearing sin through the stripes of, of men is very important. Jesus, because he didn't have to bear his own sin, right. could bear the sins of others. Exactly. And he did it. I mean, those those words are used in connection with the death of Christ, with the rods of men, uh, the stripes of men. Yeah. Uh, he took the punishment for the iniquity of others, yeah. right? Past Davidic kings and Made his sin. To be sin, he knew no sin, so he would become the righteousness of God, right? Exactly, yeah, so. exactly. So so that that as well. And then Jesus is the one who ultimately sits on the throne of God forever. Yeah. And so as God is linking his throne with David's throne here, that leaves a lot of questions, right, as to how God could let a fallible human be the one who reigns on his throne. It, it causes huge problems until you see that God has put the human and divine together, to but put it, it crassly, I guess. But yeah, in, the hypostatic union, as they say. Yeah, yeah. That, that's come together, that the, that the Davidic kingship and the eternal throne of God mm. have actually come together in one person, mm. in Jesus Christ. And so he's the one who can fulfill that, bring people to that final rest, bring them into the promised land, and all the rest. Yeah, spoiler alert, by the way. So yeah, but it's, it's just it's always amazing to me how how God has left all these threads, left all these questions, these things, like, there's, there's no way to resolve them. And when Jesus comes, they perfectly come together. Mm. It's unbelievable, yeah. you know, how God can, can plan it from the beginning to, to end up that way. Amen. Well, we hope that uh, helps you connect, you know, where this is at in the gospel and, and where, where we're at in the story of God's redemptive story, because this is the best story ever, and this is the thing that you need to know in order to know where we're actually going to be going as a people, you know? Yeah. Um, like, God is inviting us ultimately to His final kingdom. We're going to be, you know, under His rule and in, in relationship with Him perfectly. That's what we have to look forward to. So we're blessed we get to know the end of the story. Um, and these people right here only had the hope, but they had faith in God still, that he's good, that he's in control, and that he has a you know a, a good place for his people in the end. That's right. So that's all we got for today. Thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. We'll see you next week.